First up, the Gophers for the Little Brown Jug, next on Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Cook. Waits for it. Tim Cook. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. Get it. Touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kolodar at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On its way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. win the championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan. Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to Game Week here on Michigan Podcast. The first game week is a rivalry game for the Little Brown Jug against the Minnesota Golden Gophers, coached by P.J. Fleck, who has done a phenomenal job with that program. And last year they won 11 games, first time they've done that since the turn of the century. Turn of the 20th century, folks. So, a century ago. And they bring a lot back. I am struggling, though, with how to analyze this game. Going in, uh, I figured Michigan as the public team is going to open up probably around a three-point favorite. I'll take Minnesota because I think the situation favors them. Too many moving parts for Michigan. New offensive line, you're reshuffling, new quarterback. And I, I, the biggest worry I have, because I think Michigan's recruited very well at those previous two spots, but the biggest worry I have is a lot of youth at corner, going to play a lot of man-to-man against those outstanding Minnesota receivers. It's not just Rashad Bateman. They, they've got more there. Don't sleep on a guy like Chris Ottman-Bell, for example. And uh, they catch Michigan napping on the road against a ranked team. That's kind of Michigan's kryptonite, and Minnesota would be on my plate to pick week one. I've got no problem betting against Michigan. In, in fact, I, I find that it's actually a good hedge against my emotions. So if we win, great. If we lose, it sucks, but I won some money. So it's a kind of a way for me uh, to, to get a victory uh, based on either of the two potential outcomes. But Minnesota actually opened as the favorite in the game. 
So I wasn't expecting that. That favorite um, positioning for the Gophers did not last very long. Now, Michigan has uh, established itself as about a field goal favorite in the game. I had heard some word that Minnesota's got some COVID-related issues. Nothing specific, but P.J. Fleck then alluded to that at his press conference on Monday. Uh, just said, hey, you know, you'll find out later. I, I think Michigan has the better team when you look at the roster as a whole, but there's a major matchup advantage there. You know, Tanner Morgan, Tanner Morgan last year had the third best passer rating ever in the Big Ten Conference. It just happened to be second to Justin Fields, who was number two to only Russell Wilson. So that's pretty good company. They bring back those receivers. They bring back that offensive line. I think Michigan's defensive front is the best in the Big Ten, so I expect that to kind of be a stalemate. I do wonder, hey, if we've got to score 28 points, can Joe Milton do that without turning it over a couple times in his very first start? Uh, Same thing with an offensive line. They won't have the crowd to deal with, so that's a positive from a cohesiveness, from getting your signal straight, your assignment straight, perspective, etc. I think Michigan's defensive front seven is tremendous. Uh, The best they've had, I think, uh, uh, well, 2018 was pretty good with Devin Bush, but I think this one is really good. I'm just having a hard time getting a handle on this game. And it might ultimately be because I I just can't see Michigan objectively anymore. But but not in the way that a lot of fans struggle to analyze their favorite team objectively. I you you've seen me pick against Michigan plenty of times here on Michigan podcast, and I just admitted to you I've bet against Michigan several times over the years too. Figured hey if we're gonna lose I I might as well make some money off of it. But I've lost my objectivity through my fandom the other way. It's not seeing things through maize and blue colored glasses. It's pessimism. I'm broken. I've lost my faith as a Michigan fan. I no longer believe I'm going to ever live to see Michigan win a 43rd Big Ten championship. I don't believe it'll ever happen. I really don't. And trust me, if you put the Wonder Woman lasso of truth on me, I'd say that I'd say the same thing. I, I really don't believe I'll ever see Michigan beat Ohio State like ever again, whether I live 10 more minutes or 30 more years. I'm that down. I'm, I'm, I'm that broken. I'm that resigned to my fate. Uh, the last couple of Ohio State games have been so incredibly emasculating. We've lost three games every year at least three games every year of the Harbaugh era. There's only been two seasons so far in the 21st century, which is one-fifth over. 20% of the century is gone. We've only had two seasons so far this century. We didn't lose at least three games. So I don't know how much my brokenheartedness as a fan is factoring into my analysis here. So you throw that in you throw my brokenness in how much I'm damaged right now as a fan uh, to how many variables are in this game and man it is a complete and total stay away from me I, I could see I could see this going a few different ways we'll find out what our good friend Mark Rogers reasonable Ohio State fan we'll find out what he thinks about the game where we've got game day road uniforms at night prime time it's like every negative Michigan bromide outside the Ohio State game. All of these tropes are all 
<laughs> harmonically converging for this season opener against Minnesota. We'll talk about it with Mark Rogers here next. So why should you consider supporting us on patreon.com slash Michigan podcast? Well, how about if I lay 2061 odds plus 2061 odds or 21 to one odds that you might get a good return on your investment because last week on our page, this underdog money line parlay that I recommended that was plus 2061 at William Hill hit. And if you were one of our subscribers, you got that underdog money line parlay. And you can see in the comments section, a lot of people were very, very happy with the early Christmas gift that they received. That's just one of the reasons why you want to support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast for as low as $5 a month. You can get our exclusive picks both for football basketball, and baseball. We absolutely killed it during uh, the regular season this year in Major League Baseball, and we gave out those picks each and every day. So if you don't want to miss everything that we're a part of each and every week and day at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast, go there now and you can support what we do here at Michigan Podcast. And then get an ROI with maybe some winning handicapping picks at the exact same time. Patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Thanks to all of you that are supporting us there. The hundreds already. We appreciate each and every one of you join their ranks and make a little money on the side. Maybe patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Let's get to this week's 10-Minute War, our homage to the great 10-year war between Woody and Bo. Let's bring in the one, the only, reasonable Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. He's got a great YouTube channel on his own. Mark, good to have you back with us here. How you doing, brother? Doing well. Great to see you, Steve. Can't wait to see Big Ten football. It's hard to believe. You know what? Does it feel like game week to you? I mean, I, I fought so hard to to get here. I, I pulled every string. I used every contact I had in our league, but around the country to yes, do to do anything I could, man, anything I possibly could. And who knows if it had if it did point zero one percent of a difference. All right, but I I worked so hard, and so many other people did for us to get to this moment. And now that we're kind of here, it it seems surreal to me that we're going to actually watch Big Ten football this weekend. What are your thoughts on that? It seems really odd. It seems odd that there's going to be a Friday night in Madison with Wisconsin taking on Illinois. Your team has the premier game of the week in the Big Ten, not just the Big Ten, but if I could only watch one college football game this weekend, I'm watching Michigan-Minnesota. But yes, I'm going to have to actually see it on my TV screen and see some of those beautiful color combinations of Big Ten matchups that I've grown up watching throughout the years uh, since I was a small little lad that uh, will bring back memories until I can fully embrace and believe that it's real. Well, let's get to that Michigan-Minnesota game. I have to tell you, I'm trying to analyze this. You know I go out of my way to take my biases out of the way. I, none of us can do it completely. We're human beings. We're, we're subjective creatures by nature. I am really struggling to look at this game objectively, Mark, and here's why. Because my bias is towards pessimism. I, I have, as a fan, I've given up 
that we're going to do any better than we already have. I've given up. I, I literally don't believe I will live to see. Michigan has the all-time record for Big Ten championships at 42. I, I don't think I'll live to see another Big Ten football championship, whether I live another few months or a few decades. I, I don't think I'll ever see Michigan beat Ohio State like ever, like ever again. I mean, I am, I am in here convinced of these things. And so I am struggling to analyze this game because I don't trust my fan bias. And I don't mean that from an optimistic standpoint, but from a pessimistic standpoint. So if I, t- doing my best to analyze it, I was, I, I have been told there's some COVID issues with the Minnesota program. And PJ Fleck alluded to this on Monday. I know for a fact, Minnesota did not want to play football this fall. Uh, they were one of the big 10 teams earlier this summer. There were three. They were one of the ones that were like, we're not planning on playing. We're not interested in playing. Um, I know that they were one of the schools that did not continue practicing the entire time. Michigan was one of the few schools who did practice the entire time. I, I think man through one through 85, even with the losses Michigan has, when I look at my own talent ratings, Michigan is the clearly superior roster. But last year, Tanner Morgan had the third greatest quarterback rating by a Big Ten quarterback ever. And he finished second to Justin Fields. Um, there is one major matchup problem in this game, in my view, and it favors Minnesota. And that's their receivers against a green Michigan secondary, particularly at corner. And I think we've all seen games with Don Brown before where about 90% of the snaps, you get zero to two yards. And then the other 10% of the snaps, you get 300 yards. We've seen this, right? Okay. And that just fits perfectly what Minnesota wants to do. So there's a ton of variables. There will be no crowd. The weather looks like December, low 30s. Um, I don't know how great a throwing weather that is. I don't, who knows? Um, first start for Joe Milton. I don't know, man. There are so many variables in this game. I can't get a handle on it. The line has moved everywhere. It, I, it, I think it's pretty obvious that Minnesota is going to be the most popular public dog this week. Everybody and their mom so far as that I've followed publicly is picking the Gophers. Where are you at on this game, Mark? Steve, it's funny because we could not be more polar opposites in our rooting interest, of course, in Big Ten football. But everything you just stated are the things that are running through my head going into this game. So I will brag up my 39 and 29 against the spread record in top 25 games this year, which is not just unbelievably outstanding, but it's solid to win a little bit of money. Uh, But I don't take a whole lot of time predicting those games. I'm usually pretty firm. Oh, That line looks like it should be there. Therefore, I'm going to make this prediction. This game, what I see is exactly what you see. When we measure the two rosters, there's really no comparison. There is a gap, a sizable gap between the talent on the two rosters. I don't see Minnesota making any hay in the ground game against that Michigan front four that I think is arguably the best in the Big Ten uh, Cam McGrown at linebacker. And again, those four studs up front that you have, I don't see Minnesota running the football. Now, you do have some issues in the secondary. I don't think from a talent perspective, just in terms of sorting things out from an experience standpoint, minus Dax Hill, of course. Tanner Morgan, there's the stability at quarterback, the 30 TD, seven picks, just a tremendous season he turned in last year. But I don't know that he can get much better than that. He's probably reached his ceiling. But with, yes, Chris Ottman-Bell, Rashad Bateman coming back after opting out 60 catches, 11 TDs last year against that Michigan secondary, uh, I think 
the the stability at quarterback for Minnesota versus the guy that probably is the biggest wild card in the conference. And I don't mean as a knock against his ability, no. but the player with the most spotlight that I has a totally agree. Next to his name. Because I mean, that's that is the position. Mark, three of the last four years, Ohio State and four of the last seven. Ohio State has had the top pass top rated passer in this conference. All right. Michigan has not had um, you know, a, a, has not had a quarterback that it's recruited, drafted yet in the NFL under Jim Harbaugh. So when when you're going against Braxton Miller with Devin Gardner, who was really good but playing on a broken foot, you're going against Terrell Pryor with Nick Sheridan and Tate Forcier. You're going against, um, uh, you're, I mean, just look at what these quarterback matchups have been in, in, in our rivalry or what used to be a rivalry, and that's why it no longer is, is the drop-off that Michigan has had at that position. And to me, I, I think Joe Joe Milton is one of the wild card players in this sport this year, because if you look, I think this is the deepest stale, stable of tailbacks Michigan has had in in two or three decades. I love the receivers, even without Nico Collins. I think it's a deep, talented unit and fits more of the quick twitch kind of guys more than those long, lanky NFL guys. It's more of the quick twitch of a Josh Gaddis offense. I have a complete trust in Ed Warner in the offensive line. I just two years ago we took an offensive line that was lost, and every one of those guys got drafted in the NFL. They've recruited very well there, and the kind of offense Michigan runs, similar to Ohio State right away early in the year, you don't have to be a road grader up there. They can kind of grow into that a little bit because the ball, the, the whole offense is predicated on moving the ball quickly. And, and I don't think Minnesota's defensive front is that great anyway. But Milton, to me, is the key. That, that's the difference between is this another okay, pretty good, three-loss Michigan team, or is that the guy that takes Michigan to the next level because that's been the position that has held Michigan back this entire time. Shea Patterson was like 100th in the country in completion percentage last year. I mean, to me, I think he's the wild card for the entire Big Ten season. When you start talking about no Micah Parsons at Penn State, now Journey Brown's not going to play this year. To me, that's the difference between does Michigan go into the Ohio State game or maybe those, both those teams have a combined one loss or does Michigan go in there, you know, already out of the Big Ten race by the time we get to that game. I think he and, and what kind of player he is answers, answers that question, I think. Well, historically, you certainly set down the dividing line between Michigan quarterback play because prior to the quarterbacks that you mentioned, uh, ending with Forcier and Sheridan was Chad Henney, John Navarre, on down the line right. before that, uh, going back. I mean, we to, played uh, arguably the best quarterback Ohio State's ever had. Certainly, statistically, he's in there. All right, and J.T. Barrett. Statistically, he's one of the best quarterbacks in Big Ten history. His senior year, well, he got knocked out of the game. Dwayne Haskins comes off the bench. We're starting John O'Corn. That's the difference in in in, what, in these programs, frankly, for the last going on fifteen years now. Is that position, and it's the most important position in our sport. Whereas outside of Purdue, before that, you had arguably, no, I would say definitely Michigan had the second best quarterback legacy in the Big Ten prior to 2007 and probably still holds up as the second best to those stars at Purdue. So, yeah, Joe Milton could go out there and throw three interceptions and run around and do some stupid things with the football and hit on 18 of 23 passes. And it's a 24-17 loss. Uh, but otherwise, Michigan's the better team. I like uh, your positional units and everything that you just outlined. I just think um, there's some continuity possibility uh, that needs to be grown into along the offensive front. 
but besides that, uh, I, I'm good with the secondary. It's not uh, there are communications to work out, but the talents there coming back in the secondary, even though guys have little experience there. And again, the front seven is tremendous. Did you pick up on yesterday the Pac-12 announced its protocols for COVID? Did you see these? I did not. All right. And, you know, there's it, it, it's for decades and really all of our you and I's lifetimes. The Pac-12 has been little brother to the Big Ten, right? And and they've had over a century-long relationship through the Rose Bowl. They did not follow the Big Ten's lead in their COVID protocols. They're doing what the rest of college football is at the power conference level. You have to have a 53-man roster like an NFL team. You have to have a, you know a certain amount of offensive linemen. I think the number seven. Same protocols going on in the SEC. So I mean, we could see 10, 15, 20 guys. Like Virginia Tech's been playing without 10, 15, 20 guys so far this season. USC could do that. Oregon could do that and still have a game on Saturday. Our league is the only league in the entire sport that is putting forth this ridiculous notion that with one positive test, you have to sit out for 21 days, despite the fact you represent an age group that, according to CDC, has a recovery rate of 99.98%. Nearly 70-year-old Nick Saban tested positive and then negative and all coached in the same week down at Alabama. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the Pac-12, which has kind of been, you know, the panic porn region of the country, right? And now suddenly, hey, they're now they're just throwing caution to the wind. Yeah, we're going to adopt the SECs. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to adopt their protocols as opposed to the Big Ten's stringent ones. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Well, I think for once, the Pac-12 is actually being reasonable about the situation. They've had five to six weeks of football to look over the data and look over what we're seeing play out each and every week, which is about 85% of the games being played. Uh, So it's not been perfect, but it's gone pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Had the big 10 and had both of us known that it was going to go this well, uh, we would have really trounced the decision to cancel the season. My goodness, they should have been starting the first week of September, uh, the, the entire college football map should have been on the field the first week of September, and we would have seen 85% of the games played. But that was my initial response to the Big Ten's um, guidelines where this was this ridiculous three-week uh, cancellation or quarantine of a eight-game season. That That's going to wipe out uh, – it just could be disastrous to the, the conference – playing to some reasonable result of a season. Well, what I thought was interesting is Fleck on Monday said, yeah, he acknowledged and hinted at some COVID problems in the program, but said he's not going to divulge who that is. I I was under the understanding that under Big Ten protocols, everybody was going to divulge that. Everybody was going to know who tested positive, um, uh, who's not playing, who's not available, uh, that there was going to be a third-party uh, administrator of of these protocols around the conference. Did, am I missing? I'm, I mean, I know that was in their protocols. I read those words myself. So what do you mean they're not going to disclose whether somebody's playing or not? I, I mean, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I have thoughts that um, <laughs> it's certainly not. Uh, I would hold, I hope that somebody would hold uh, P.J. Fleck accountable that that information is going to have to come out or uh, somebody's not doing their journalistic uh, duty out there to uh, raise this concern and 
this should be reported. Uh, I know that uh, Virginia Tech seems to be the classic example of losing just quantities of players and still being able to get out there and play a football game without 15 players. And in one of their matchups, it was minus both safeties, a left mm-hmm. tackle, a starting cornerback. Among the 15, we're talking about prominent starting players. And uh, that would be the only reason why I would lead, I would need to know what players are going to miss this game to have a, have a conclusion of uh, how it would sway my prediction in this game. But it hasn't seemed to affect affected adversely in a, in a huge way these other teams. See, I think the 21-day the sit-out is going to be we're going to see, my guess would be, you know, I think you've mentioned it's about 15% of the uh, the games around the country we've seen postponed or canceled. It'll just be cancellations in our league because we don't have any buys. If I had to guess, we'll have somewhere 8 to 10% of our games probably will run into an outbreak, I would guess. But I think it's that 21-day suspension for one positive test. I think that's going to wreak a lot more havoc because they're doing the daily antigen testing that the NFL is doing. And then if you have a positive antigen test, like with the NFL, they confirm it with the PCR testing. And then if that confirms, you're out 21 days. Well, what if you get a positive antigen test on Saturday morning and you have to play at 11 a.m. on Saturday, right? And the PCR test takes a a few hours to to get the the final results. And then it comes back that it was a false positive. You're totally fine because we've seen a slew of those in the NFL this season. That's just, those are some things I think to keep in mind as the games get underway. All right, we've already talked Michigan, Minnesota. Quickly in the time we have remaining. The game, the other game I have my eye on, it, it, it's overall, overall, it's an intriguing week of games. But the game I have my eye on is in Bloomington, Indiana where Penn State's most explosive defensive player, Micah Parsons, already said he's not sitting out, or he's not going to play this year. Now Journey Brown, and they've recruited very well at tailback, but he's by far the most explosive one. Now, he may not play this year. They never developed a receiver not named K.J. Hamler last year. I love Pat Fryermuth, the tight end, but let me just tell you as a Michigan fan, I've learned the hard way. You cannot build a passing game in today's college football around a tight end. All right? you can't. It doesn't work like that. Okay? So, I don't know, man. You look at that spread, it's only a touchdown. And yet, Penn State's the public team. They're in the AP Top 10. Minnesota got a mere, or I'm sorry, Indiana got a mere four votes in the AP Top 25 last week. To me, they've got the best quarterback on the field in Michael Penix. I'd take him over Sean Clifford. They've got the best uh, playmaker on the field with with no Journey Brown. I think Watt Fillier is the best playmaker on the field. I don't know, man. That spread looks like they are begging you to take Penn State. I'm smelling a bit of an ambush there, but what are your thoughts across the Big Ten, Mark? Well, as you well know, Indiana has been that team in the Big Ten Eastern Division that has given everybody fits. Aside from a 51-10 Ohio State win last year against the Hoosiers, they have taken Michigan to overtime. They've taken Ohio State to a play at the four-yard line. They've taken us to overtime twice, actually. Yeah. Yeah, these have been extremely difficult games. So against Penn State, it was only a touchdown game in Happy Valley last year. It was one of those one-score, two-score, back-to-one-score games, which Indiana gave them a scare at the end, 34-27. Two years ago, Trace McSorley had to hang on and convert a couple first downs with his legs to hang on to a 33-28 game. Uh, Yeah, no Journey Brown, Noah Kane's probably the number one back for a Penn State team that's, yeah, recruited a handful of top 10 running backs um, so they're in decent shape there, but he was turning into a real star in college football, 200 plus yards in the Cotton Bowl last year. 
Sean Clifford, the numbers look good on the surface, the overall numbers, but I'll hit you with this uh, coming off uh, one show ago in which we were talking about Shea Patterson's completion percentage. Sean Clifford against good defenses, 50% against Iowa, 53 against Minnesota, 56 mm. against Michigan, 48 in the game against Indiana last year, mm. uh, and Ohio State 71 yards passing before he left the game. Um, it, Sean Clifford mm. didn't have a good season. He just didn't against quality defenses. And uh, the only thing that concerns me here is Indiana's 8-4 and four last year was a bit thin, the best wins I see there, Nebraska and Purdue in double overtime. So mm-hmm. Indiana pretty much uh, pieced together uh, an 8-4 and four season out of a weak non-conference schedule and a, a weak out-of-division schedule last year. But uh, it will be intriguing to see if Penn State's really that good. Real quick, anything else you want our audience to keep an eye on in the Big Ten this week? Well, Adrian Martinez... 10 touchdowns, 9 picks last year. Scott Frost, when is he going to develop this outstanding offense that he has recruited playmakers like Wandale Robinson and now Omar Manning, the number one Juco wide receiver in the nation, to display on the field after what he produced at Oregon as offensive coordinator, and then the turnaround at UCF and McKenzie Milton and all that they did there. When are we going to see this in Nebraska? Of course, uh, they take on Ohio State, who's lost two of the top three Uh, NFL draft picks on defense good question that Purdue Iowa game you got one team going through um, you know racial tension the other team won't have its coach who might be the best play caller in our entire conference that that there's a lot of intriguing storylines in week one uh, of the Big Ten schedule looking forward to it Mark good to talk to you as always man thanks for joining us this week good to see you Steve A great way to stay up to date with our latest thoughts and coverage of the Michigan Wolverines is to check out our website, Wolverine Digest, part of the SI Network. That's myself, Michael Spath, Brandon Brown, Eric Rutter, and the whole team at Wolverine Digest covering everything, maize and blue, whether it's the latest football news, recruiting, college basketball on the horizon as well. And analysis is our thing. That's our jam. And because we are not beholden to anybody at the school to get access for breaking information, we got a little bit more freedom than maybe some others do to see things more from you and we, the fans' perspective. So check us out each day online at WolverineDigest.com. This week's Twitter poll, and here are the results. Who do you think wins this week's Michigan-Minnesota matchup? It's pretty close for a partisan crowd. Uh, 62 to 38. You guys favor Michigan. I hope the majority is correct. But I'm not optimistic. I'm not pessimistic either. I'm not I'm not evenistic. <laughs> I don't I really don't know what to think. I think there's just so many moving parts in this game. Minnesota's got a new offensive coordinator as well. Guy did a great job last year, moved on to greener pastures at Penn State. So you got a new OC there. Does that have any bearing whatsoever on Michigan on Minnesota's offense? So uh, I don't know. A lot of variables there. I just hope Michigan at the end has one more point than Minnesota. Let's get to this week's question of the week. And it comes from Eric Brenner, who says, let's be honest. We might as well just chalk this one up as a loss. Watch the Michigan fan base erupt, but I really don't know why. We've all seen this coming. See, that's where I'm at 
And I hate being there. I love Jim Harbaugh. He's my first favorite player as a Michigan fan growing up as a kid. I've followed him his pro career. He's still one of my all-time favorite Wolverines. I love him. I want him to be successful. Well, he has been successful. He just hasn't achieved anything, though, of significance. And I want him to do that. Uh, badly. I've just, frankly, lost all hope that he will. Like, I'm, I'm convinced we are doomed. You know, if you're an Ohio State fan, you remember the old 9-3 and three Earl reference? That's why Earl Bruce got fired for going 9-3 and three every year. Kind of feels like that's what we're doing every year here. And we're not going to break out of that funk. And I hate feeling that way. But it is how I feel. So, Eric, I feel you, dog. I just wish I didn't. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. We'll be back next week to break down what did happen against Minnesota and look ahead to the in-state rivalry game against rebuilding Michigan State. Don't forget, whether it is uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, and you want to give us a five-star review, hit that subscribe button, or give us a like and a subscribe if you're watching here on YouTube. Uh, The more of you that do those things, the more it helps to spread the word about what we're doing here on Michigan Podcast to other Michigan fans all over the globe. So keep that going and share these links with Michigan fans that you know as well. Don't forget to check us out online at wolverinedigest.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. Hopefully we are talking about a win next week. Until then, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.